Thanks for listening to the Dakota Town Hall Podcast, a political podcast focusing on Western South Dakota. Brought to you by the Home Slice Media Group and Elevate Rapid City. City Council Questions. Please introduce yourself and tell us what you are running for. I'm Chad Lewis, and I'm running for re-election for City Council Ward 3. I'm currently serving as the Vice President of the City Council. Well, the first question is, what can the city do to do so people can find affordable housing? Well, one thing we can do is we can continue to support uh, incentive-driven initiatives like tax increment financing and rework the design criteria manual to allow for more flexibility when proposing new developments, which, in my opinion, some of those things that are in there right now are um, not necessary always. Um, we can also try to not put a bur- burden on, on the developer by having them requiring them to do improvements to existing infrastructure in the city that otherwise they wouldn't have to do. And an example of that would be there was a developer that was trying to do a project on Creek Drive and St. Patrick Street over by the new the East Side Family Fair. And the city wanted him to realign the intersection and make it so the Creek Drive lined up with Creek Drive on one side and the other side of, the, of north and south of St. Patrick Street. Well, it was going to cost him an extra $400,000 minimum to change that. And to me, that was insane because, one, I used to work down Creek Drive, down, and it's all industrial down that way. So there's no real traffic problem. And secondly, how many cities have been to there's an offset intersection? It happens once in a while. But at the end of the day, is there's not very many of those in Rapid City, and I think it killed the project. And this was going to be a workforce housing project. It was going to bring in apartments that were $689 a month, which were, you know, at the time, by the CDBG requirements or guidelines, that was workforce housing, affordable apartments for people and families. And that project didn't go forward because of that. You know, I think we need to try to support the people that are willing to take these risks because as much as we all, you know, want to stay small sometimes, we are going to grow. And if it wasn't for guys like that, we wouldn't, we'd all be eating a bonanza still and going to the rapid theater and watching Star Wars for the next 20 years. So I think it's important we make those, those things happen and try to support them any way we can. And I was one of the only people on the council that actually voted for it. So um, up next we have what more can the city do to help its residents with a mental and health addiction need? Well, I have supported on my time in the council, uh, and I will continue to support the current programs like the CARE Campus and the 24-7 Campus, and, and, and I also voted for the One Heart Campus, which stated goal is to help break the, the cycle of poverty, and which leads to mental illness and addiction problems, and so and homelessness. So by that, they're going to be able to, these individuals are going to check in, they're going to get the help they need, they're going to be taught, re-educated, they're going to have a place to live, a clean, safe place to live, they're going to have access to all sorts of resources like mental health help and uh, mental illness help and um, addiction problems, and that will give them back in the community sooner, train, job training, so people that have those, you know, self-worth don't have those problems as much, it's a much lower incidence, so the more we can do to support that, the better we are. And to take care, for instance, a care campus. We had 28 repeat offenders that came into the, that system every year. The 28 um, people who were, were intoxicated were costing the taxpayers of Painting County and South Rapid City a million dollars a year alone, just those 28 people by the time they got to the system. And so now we're taking some of that money, and we're giving them a well, – in order to get into the to someplace clean, they'd have to commit a crime, right? Well, now they don't have to do that anymore. They can self-check in, even if they're inebriated. As long as they're not violent, they can check into this, this – this campus and they can sleep it off and they have access to mental health care there, addiction recovery and all those different opportunities are there for them and they, they try to lead them that direction but it it's saving the taxpayers money and we need to start looking at these facilities as opportunities to invest up front in our community 
and it's, it's a pay now or pay later kind of thing. And I really thank the mayor, Mayor Allender, Chief Carl Jegris, um, Chief Fire Chief Wild Seals, Mayor Kevin, or Sheriff, Sheriff um, Kevin Tom, for their you know their foresight and making these things happen. And of course, Ray Hillenbrand was a big supporter of these things too, and a lot of other members of the community like Jim Skull. You know, people like that are willing to step up. And, and, and say, hey, this is not a conservative or liberal issue. This is a city issue, and we need to deal with it, and it's going to pay off in the long run. So I think that's, that's something that really will give the quality of life for all of us. Up next, we have, uh, do you think the city should go from Dylan's rule to home rule, and what do you see the advantages of each? Well, first of all, I have an open mind about this. The mayor has created a, a, a t- task force that's going to um, look at this problem and this situ- situation, and they're going to break it down, and hopefully they'll come back with really good information for us. And ultimately, it won't be up to me, Chad Lewis, as a city council member. It'll be up to us as a community to decide which way we go. So like you, I'm going to take the chance and the opportunity to educate myself. And one of the things I can tell you about Dil- Dylan's rule is it, it is what we currently live under, which means right now we can't make any rules that or laws that deviate from the state's laws greatly. They can, there's a little bit of deviation, but not much. But we can do – that kind of guarantees some uniformity throughout the government. So if you go to Yankton, South Dakota, you can guarantee the laws there. You're not going to break a law there, but more likely because it's the same law there, same law in Rapid City. But – and also, you know, it makes it more constitutional too because it follows the Constitution greatly. So that's, that's, a, that's an advantage to Dylan's rule for sure. One thing it does is it, it does um, handcuff us a little bit because we're, we're, we can't change our rules to, to the regions. For instance – Anybody that knows the difference between East River and West River, which is pretty much everybody in South Dakota, knows that East River is more likely to want government, you know, guidance, government involvement in their, in their life. And, you know, West River, we're a little more self-sufficient. We're a little more independent. We're better at sports. You know, we, we, we tend to be a little more, uh, less government involvement. And I think that's one of the things that Dylan's rule, when you have all these strict rules that apply to East River and they apply to West River, and sometimes it doesn't work well. So people tend to fight back against those. Like, for instance... Rapid City, oddly enough, when I, I said that we were independent, we also, one thing we did, though, do is we, we passed the texting and driving law before anybody did. We made it against the law to text and drive in the city of Rapid City before the state did. That was something we were allowed to do because the state didn't explicitly say we couldn't do it, but we, we went ahead and did it. Now the state says we can, everybody should do it. So I think that that's one of the things about Dylan's rule that, you know, makes it less, it gives, gives uniformity, but makes it a little more strict. Um, home rule. Well, it has the advantage of less interference from the legislature, theoretically, because we're going to be able to determine more um, laws for apply to ourselves and our citizenry. And it also allows us to form our own type of government without with less restriction. For instance, we could go to one person per ward as opposed to the current system of two council people per ward, which gives us 10. This would give us five. And then we could have two at large, maybe, which would give us seven, and which gives us an odd number, which it makes it much easier to make a decision because 10 people tend to tie, and that gives the mayor a vote. Well, the mayor then becomes more powerful. If we restructure, the mayor would have less power, maybe even just be a figurehead. And we have a city manager, which takes the politics out of a lot of these decisions that get made and makes it a lot more efficient. So I think that's probably one thing we could look at for sure. And I think we might be able to do that as we currently set, but I, I don't know enough about that. I'm learning like everybody else is, and I'm going to learn more as I go. Um, one good thing about home rule, though, we could have put like things like the Civic Center directly on the ballot instead of having a situation where we as a city council passed it. Well, then we had the mayor and a couple of city council members went out and referred it. 
so it could get voted on by the people, which was really awkward because then it looked like the mayor and the city council were against it, but we were voting for it. And it just confused people and it made it, you know, it didn't pass the first time. And that's part of the reason why. So this would allow us direct input into our government, allow us to vote directly on things. What that can lead to, though, is too many frequent changes, in our, you know, and it could change the type of government too easily. We could say, well, we don't like this type of government, so let's change it now. And we could do that, you know, theoretically under home rule. So we need to be careful about that. And also allows special interests to take over and refer anything they want to all the time, which tends to happen in South Dakota anyway. But it'd be a lot easier under home rule because it'd require less people to sign the petitions. So I think, you know, I'm keeping a very open mind. I think everybody should. Like I said, the mayor put together a very nice task force. They're going to look at this committee. They're going to study it. They bring back their findings and see if it's a good fit. And then I'm going to take more time to educate myself more. I, at first blush, home rule sounds really good to me because I do believe we should change the from 10 Walter people to seven. I don't think 10 is a good number. It's hard to get 10 people to do anything, let alone get a quorum. And then you, you end up with a tie and a mayor that gets a little bit too much power. And we don't have a problem with that right now. We've always had really good mayors, but it could go bad. So I think it's something to look at, and I will be I'll make a decision along with everybody else in the community. It won't be just Chad Lewis. Um, next is what changes to the city do to cover the expected shortfall in revenue due, the, due to COVID-19? Well, currently the mayor has proposed, and I tend to agree with most of it, and actually I'm pretty much all of it, um, we're going to delay certain CIP projects, like CIPs, capital improvement projects, right? Things like we're going to build a new wall along Canyon Lake Park that rock wall that currently exists. That's $320,000 we don't need to be spending right now. Um, there was the new street sweeping facility. That's gonna cost $500,000 to clean our street sweepers. Well, I love streets, clean streets, and but I think it's worth it to spend a little extra time cleaning them right now. It's probably an EPA thing, but right now $500,000 will go a long ways to improving our budget. And then there's a salt storage facility that was gonna be put, put up on the west side, it was $150,000 roughly. And we can haul the salt across the other strides of the city if we need to. We can save that 150 grand right now. Um, we're going to freeze hiring any new employees. We've already done that. A lot of the temporary seasonal employees have already not been hired. And uh, I realize the pool closings is a huge issue for everybody, and it's a huge issue for me because I buy a, a pool pass for my children every year. My, my kids use it three or four times a week. You know, and they use it during this, the winter time too. They use the inside facilities, but it's. It's so hard to get that, to make that work under the current guidelines from the CDC and to social distance. We couldn't have the toilets open. We couldn't have the locker rooms open. We couldn't have the concession stands open. So how do you do that? How do you make it work? I mean, everybody says chlorine kills the virus. Yeah, it probably does. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a scientist in that regard, but I, I do know that you're not going to be able to have 150 kids in the same pool right now. You might have 20 kids in the same pool. And it's, is it really worth it? Because it already costs us about $9 per person that walks to the door as a supplement from the city to open those pools, which I would generally argue is worth it because I think it's a good quality of life issue. But right now, I don't think it's something that we need as a community. As much as I'd like to say we can open them, I'm going to probably support the mayor on that because I think it's a, a pretty much a no-brainer when it comes to a way to save about $400,000 a year right now, and it'll make a big difference. Um, I would, like I said, it's a hard one for me because I really do support children and support families, and I, my own kids use it all the time. But now is the time when we have to think about not ourselves so much and what our own personal needs and wants are. We need to think about the community as a whole. It's a temporary thing. It's not forever, and I think it'll come back stronger next time. And uh, us, this way of doing it also limits the amount of time, the amount of money we're spending our reserves. So we're going to need those reserves in the future. We don't know what's going to come next. So we're only dipping our reserves about $270,000, I think it is, something like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's a good way. 
Um, next is what criteria or measurements do you think the city should allow, use for, to allow for a freer business environment or to reestablish restrictions because of COVID-19? Well, there's some pretty c- clear guidelines that have been put forth by the CDC. And our peak isn't expected till mid-June and at least. And for us to do anything before that time period would be kind of foolish, in my opinion. I think we need to continue to work with Monument and Monument Health and, and IHS and listen to their abilities to handle their caseloads. Because right now, that was the goal, was to make sure they could handle you know, the people that were sick people. And right now, they're okay. But when they tell us, if they tell us it gets out of control and they can't do it, we might have to do more. I think they're going to be okay. I think they've done a great job preparing for it. And I don't see us doing any more in the future, near future right now. But uh, I want to be able to have that ability just because I'm responsible as one person, one of 10 people responsible or nine people responsible for the whole citizenry, not just, you know, certain areas. Um, I know that capitalism picks winners and losers all the time. I know this from personal experience, you know, buildings and ebb and flow business and, and has massive ups and massive downs. And we all saw that in 2008. Uh, right now, unfortunately, there are just certain businesses that are taking the brunt of this crisis, and they're the ones that have, the, but they're the ones that have the greatest concentrations of people. And I don't think anybody but the most, you know, adamant virus deniers are going to say that crowds should be hanging out together right now. You just you couldn't have a crowded area. So we have to do what we can do to protect these people. And you know, reasonable restrictions. I, I know that they're barely scraping by right now, and I know it's horrible, and I don't even want to think about it. But we have to figure out a way to try to help them, but we also have to try to use this opportunity and try to move forward and embrace the new economy that's coming from this. Um, we have human resources here, and we have technology here. We have the South Coast School of Mines. We have the incubator. And we need to think about how we can use that to to exploit the situation, for lack of a better word, and, and move it to our advantage. We've got a lot of open space, and people are going to be coming from other places that are going to want to live here. They want to get away from the cities. They want to you know, feel safer. And so I think we need to position ourselves for that. So, you know, getting back to the original question, government leads, you know, and people need to believe that their government's leading. And so if we just said go for it and people are getting sick all over the place, people are going to lose their faith in the government, right? But if we have some restrictions and we seem to be responding as, as, as the situation changes, if we're not just sitting back and watching, that's something we need to do. And that's what we're, we're elected to do. So... We need to be flexible, but I, I, right now I'd say I, I'm, I'm comfortable with where we're at, and I will change my mind as the, as the case chases change or the evidence presents itself. So, and then also, the next one is, in this current business environment, do you think there should be any changes to the plans for the mixed-use facility at the corner of 5th and St. Joe? Absolutely not. I think it's up to the developers, and they will make that decision. I think the city's constant interference in the past is the reason the project was delayed in this, to this point, and I don't want to cause any more delays. We should do whatever we can to make ensure the success of this project, especially given the current unprecedented time our economics we're in right now. And the biggest problem has always been government interference. That's just a simple fact. This, this place was going to be for, um, financed through new market tax credits, which in the old administration was definitely a viable source of, of, of securing funds. Unfortunately, they're also very political. And... They're allocated based largely upon where they're used and how they're used. And so when you have a, the city that doesn't support these things and they should, in the paper saying, I'm not going to support this, that those people that re- give out those, distribute those tax credits, look at that and say, well, I'm not going to put, put my money, our, our money there because I'm going to get blowback from the, the local politicians even. That's not somewhere we want to put our money. We don't want this to be a, a controversial thing. We want this to improve communities. So whether you like it or not, the people that were involved in that project are doers. They have proven track workers. They've accomplished a lot before that time. They've accomplished a lot since that time. 
and they should have been allowed to go forward with that project. And I will not do anything that hinders the people that are currently involved in that project. So I will roll out the welcome mat. You know, I'm not going to give them millions of dollars from the city itself, but I think that whatever we can do to promote them and, and make their life easier, maybe is it, definitely I'm 100% behind that. So I'm not going to change their project. That's up to them to change however they, they feel the need to, but I will definitely support them going forward. Uh, what are one or two priorities you'd like to accomplish during your time on the city council? Well, I think number one is we need to, you know, I need to help lead the city. We as a city need to move forward with the economic and social challenges we're currently facing. Uh, we need to prepare ourselves for the whole new world we're facing, the new way of doing business like I talked about before, the people moving here now. We need to exploit our, our resources of the technology-based um, education we have here, the incubator, all the space we have. It's a great place for people to come. We have a low tax base, uh, no income, corporate income tax, so things like that. We need to make sure that we're, we're emphasizing that and reaching out to those people. And that's why we have things like Elevate Rapid City to do that. That's their job. And they've, they're doing a good job of it. And I think we need to continue to support them any way we can. I think we also need to make sure we, you know, help maintain the, this infrastructure that the city already has in place, like the Civic Center and things like that, that will will keep people coming here because it's not going to last forever. This is not a forever thing, folks. This is a pause. It's a big pause and it's a horrible pause, but it's going to be normal again eventually. And I think we need to have that Civic Center ready to roll when those doors, when this happens, I think when this is over, we need to be ready to go. So I think we position ourselves to do that. And we need to prepare ourselves, continue to prepare ourselves for the B1 arrival, B21, excuse me, going back about 40 years there. <laughs> and um, we're going to have an influx of people who are going to be moving here to, to support that industry, the, you know, the defense industry, the B21, as well as people, like I said, are going to be moving out of the big states and coming to the smaller states to probably just to get away from the crowds. And so whatever we can do to support businesses with that is going to be one of my number one uh, priorities. I think that's just very important that we do that. And I think that we need to um, continue to do that. And I think we need to continue to support our citizens or anybody that wants to bring forth a project to, to try to make it as easy as possible. We need to continue to support, you know, the projects we have going to help the, the homeless population and the under-disadvantaged people because I think that helps the city as a, as a, as a whole. And I think that uh, we need to make sure our schools are well, well positioned for this influx as well. And I was a big proponent of that as, as well. Um, lastly, it says, what do you bring to the city council as far as experience and special skills to make a better place to live? Well, unfortunately or fortunately, I have the advantage of currently working um, in this environment. And I, I work with the mayor, and I work with the department of directors, as well as the, uh, the president of the council, Laura Armstrong, every day. We're always working on this project and this, this crisis, and we're always putting forth you know, ideas and solutions and dealing with you know, little things that pop up here and there. So I, I've been there, and I know the situation really well. And I know what we're currently where we're dealing with. I know the people at Monument that we're talking about. I know the, the people at IHS. I know the, the directors. I've gotten to know them more than I ever knew them before. And I know their individual issues more. And it's actually been good that we are, we've gotten to learn about things. And this, to me, I've been a, build, a builder and a realtor in this town. I've been a real estate developer. I've done a lot of business with the city, through the city. It's, you know, I understand the challenges that are for those people with regulations and things like that. And so I... I have that knowledge and I've, I've been there I've done that and I will continue to do that and I have a lot of business connections obviously too people that I've worked with and, I, and I'm obviously very involved in the community I'm a, a soccer coach I'm on the soccer board I'm a ski coach I do all these kind of things that you know I have a pretty good pulse of the different types of people out there I have a lot of friends who who play music so I know a lot about you know their their struggles I know a lot I mean I just it's just I've 
been around a long time, and I've, I've been involved in the community for a long time, and I've always been involved in different organizations. So I think those are the things I, I, I bring, my advantages, and I hope that um, people appreciate I'm not afraid to make the hard choices. I've never voted based upon politics. I vote the hard way. I make the hard choices. Sometimes I lose, sometimes I win, but I will stand up for what I believe. I'm willing to put it all out there. I've written several op-eds for the paper on different articles for uh, different pieces of things that were controversial at the time, and I didn't back down from that challenge. And I think that's something we need more of in this community is in, in this world is people that aren't going to be wishy-washy. So that's where I'm at, and I really would appreciate your support, and I just want you to all stay safe and be smart and do your best to um, know if you need to reach out. I'm here. Thanks for listening to the Dakota Town Hall Podcast, a political podcast focusing on Western South Dakota. Brought to you by the Home Slice Media Group and Elevate Rapid City.